Well, good evening, everybody in Alberta, Canada, and beyond. It is Wednesday, October 25th, 2023. And I'm Carrie Lambert, and I welcome you to an online webinar evening of solutions for a new Alberta brought to you by the Alberta Prosperity Project, also known as APP. APP's purpose is to educate, inspire, and unite all Albertans, businesses, and organizations to protect their prosperity, individual rights, freedoms, and sovereignty by empowering the Alberta government to restructure Alberta's relationship with Canada. Of course, we couldn't do this without your help. If this is your first time watching, welcome, and I hope you find this information engaging and want to find out more. And if you're a regular APP webinar viewer, thank you. Thank you for your support, and we couldn't do this without you. APP is membership driven with a goal of a million plus members to help steer the political process. And uh, we've been asked if you have to be Albertan to join APP, no. And, and in fact, we encourage anyone to join, especially if you believe in freedom and are watching what's going on in Alberta and Canada. APP memberships are one year for $20, two years for $30, three years for 40, or you can make a donation at albertaprosperityproject.com. And if you go on to that site, we also have a list of events that are going on right now. And we are currently doing our ambassador tour on the weekends. Um, this weekend, we are in Grand Prairie and Peace River. So if you happen to be there and you want to see Corey Morgan talk about his book, The Sarmatist Handbook, uh, that would be amazing. Uh, and here you can sign up and find out some more information about that. Um, and we're also asking people to register for the petition to establish Alberta's independence. And that you can go to bit.ly slash yes, or you can even scroll down just to the bottom of this page here to jump to there. And uh, we need 600,000 signatures and we are on our way. It's 13,758 as I updated today. And uh, we will slow and surely get there. But you know what? All we need to do is have one person tell two friends and two friends and they tell two friends. And you know that that whole hair commercial sort of idea there. Uh, one thing I did want to say is that, uh, you know, we one of the what we really enjoy is having people actually come out and uh, not only attend the events, but to share, share, share these these webinars. Uh, due to the new Canadian censorship laws, I'm unable to show news links, and I'm not even sure if we're actually new news, but uh, we're unable to show the links in online social content. So we do ask if it's possible that uh, you do share, share, share. So having said all that, tonight's episode is called Digitization of the World. I'm just going to go back to this here, this page here. Um, Tonight's episode is called Digitization of the World, and my guest is Sharon Polsky, President of the Privacy and Access Council of Canada, as well as being part of many privacy and digital committees. I'm sure she will be talking to you about that. And we, just so you know, we were hoping to have APP's interim CEO, CEO and of course my compadre Christopher Scott join us. However, he has a personal matter to attend to this evening, so we hope that he will be back next week. And of course, this is a live webinar, so we encourage you to ask questions and make comments throughout this presentation. Just put three question marks before your question, so it'll be flagged and we can quickly view the questions. And with that, I am going to bring on Sharon right now. Hello, Sharon. How are you tonight? I'm wonderful, enjoying Excellent. the lovely Christmas weather we have today. Oh, you are definitely in Calgary as well, or at least Alberta. <laughs> that I am. I just got... Yeah, just uh, got off the phone talking uh, with people in uh, Manitoba, and uh, they're they're getting the weather too. So it's it's definitely you know end of October, 
As soon as you get close to Halloween, it's you're rolling the dice as to whether or not the kids will have a uh, white Halloween or not. So, Absolutely. one thing, yeah. The uh, so obviously, we were looking at your uh, your uh, your your history, your credentials. Wow, that's it's quite impressive. So, you're president of the AminaCorp.ca. Is that a good way to pronounce it? Pri that's president right. of the Privacy and Access Council of Canada. Privacy by Design Ambassador with more than 30 years of experience uh, advising corporations and governments, uh, as well as parliamentary, Senate, and legislative committees about privacy and access matters. So you definitely know your stuff, and that's why we like having uh, people that you know can, can educate our viewers as to what's going on. And of course, we're talking about privacy and digitization tonight. And um, obviously, one of the reasons why we wanted to bring you on is because Sharon has been invited to speak at the parliamentary committee that's studying Bill C-27, uh, the update of the federal privacy law and asking what it's about, uh, what impact it will have on all burdens, et cetera, et cetera. So we'll obviously get to that, but maybe we should just get a little bit more background. So how did you even get involved in dealing with privacy and how long have you been doing this in, in you know, 30 years, but how did you actually get involved? For me, it was somehow just a natural progression. I started off working in law firms. I, I'm not a lawyer. I was a member of the Bar Association uh, until I let my membership lapse just a couple of months ago. Uh, so for, what, 20 years? But yeah. I'm not a lawyer. I've taught lawyers this stuff. I have taught judges all, because nobody teaches this. But early no, days, right. I saw how cavalier the lawyers I worked with were about information. Yeah. Uh, computers on desktops were relatively new and they would take a computer home, take software home. They didn't know what they were doing with it. They'd you know, blow up a program and not know how to fix it. Yeah. That was one thing. And then one day I remember walking past, there, there was a, a stationary room. It was like a big broom closet really with stacks of shelves full of the paper, the letterhead that had come back from the printer, because that was before you could actually do the graphics easily on your computer and just print it off yourself. Well so aware. you had a stationary room and the printed envelopes and the letterhead. And at the back of the room, one day I noticed there was a box. It was a piece of equipment. It was, I don't know, maybe 18, 20 inches wide, a couple of inches, but six inches high, maybe 15 inches deep. And there was tractor feed paper, which is just this hundreds of pages of paper, all right. connected with yep. perforated edges. So you could rip one page off and little tracks on the side to fit in sprockets. It would feed into the machine, get printed and just cascade down on the floor. Yep. And I went in and I looked and on each row, and this is long before we had such a thing as call display Every row had the name of the caller, the number they were calling from, how long the call was, what local they were calling inside the office, whose local it was inside the office. Well, isn't that interesting? It was mm -hmm. call display records of the caller and whose account that was. That was one of the very first things that twigged me that something's going on. Mm -hmm. Then I saw that laws were starting to come into effect uh, primarily it started in Canada, in Quebec. They are distinct in many ways, including because they are the first one to have brought in privacy legislation. And then other jurisdictions in Canada did also. And 
to me, it, like I say, it was just a natural progression. I've always been curious about things. I've mm -hmm. always asked why. Yeah. And then when it came to this technology and, you know, things like I, I was helping to develop training and uh, quality assurance for things that we now refer to as, well, not all in one devices, that's printers, but these handheld computers before they were what we now use. And I thought it was the greatest thing. No longer have to have uh, a day timer and, or a Rolodex or a card file. Everything could be all in one place, except I did my research and realized that first of all, there's no security on them. Yeah. So my entire life will go into one of these things and what happens if it's lost or stolen? It mm -hmm. vanishes. This was very, very, very early days of a cell phone. Um, 1998-99. I also, in the process of research, found that as the signal was being converted from analog to digital to go up into the cell network, there was that tiny little moment in time where the signal was not encrypted. Oh, okay. They knew about that. I don't know that it was ever fixed. Wow. So that vulnerability is still there. So it lets anybody in which makes it all the easier, not only for the good guys, but for the bad guys to get in. So, I mean, the whole thing has just been fascinating for me. And no matter where I go, whether it's a speaking engagement, a conference, uh, a client in government, private, whatever, the issues really are very much the same, yeah. regardless of the environment. And everybody looks around and goes, yeah, but we use these computers. We know what we're doing. Yeah. Do you really? You know how to turn it on. You know how to use it as a productivity tool. Do you know much about the security or do you call the help desk? Do you call a company because you've heard of the name and it's name recognition, but maybe you do. Have you ever asked what are their credentials? What does it take to actually work for this company yeah, more absolutely. than an interest in computers? All of these things. It's fascinating to me. Yeah. yeah. I love what I. Yeah. It, you know, and, and you were just, you were just, kind of describing about how uh, call displays showed up and we were all excited because then we knew whether or not to answer the phone or not. And, um, and it, it's, it's amazing how far we've come from there because now we're, when was the last time, like, I know I, I try and answer my phone and I know everybody else does, but you know, when someone calls and you don't know what the number is, you just say, you know what, I'm not going to do it. And so we're kind of implementing our own privacy, but I guess the big question with with that is is who's in charge of of all of these data records? In, well, in, isn't that a good question? Yeah, and when yeah. it comes to providing your own privacy with a phone, I yeah. do the same thing. I every afternoon at four o'clock, I get a call from what appears to be a, a local number. Yeah, and it's not. I don't yeah. know anybody else with the same yeah. prefix that I have in this city. So it's bogus or i will just answer not say a word and never ever ever say the word yes that's because what then especially now that we have deep fake technology they can yeah. take the word yes and say well of course she said can yes you hear she me? Can you hear me? yes yes i can hear you yeah how can i help you yeah that's, that's all yeah, that's right is this sharon polsky how can i help you yeah what do you want that's all but here, here's a tidbit and i've tested it um if you Hi, if you conceal your phone number when you make a call, 
whoever you're calling, if they have a service that says the phone, you, your phone call can't go through, it's blocked, reveal your number. That's one thing. Oh, yes, that's right. If yeah. you're calling an 800 number and you block your number, it doesn't yeah. matter. They see your number anyhow. Is that right? Wow. Yeah. I've tested it a few times on different yeah. 800 numbers. Yeah. And you're right. Even when I phone my bank and it's a 1-800 number, they know exactly who I am. They you're do. right. Not that I've blocked my bank, but, uh, but you're right. Like they, they know exactly who you are right away. Mm -hmm. And who owns the data? Well, it depends who you ask yeah. and who should own it. Again, it depends who you ask and what your perspective is. Yeah. And of course, that's going to be a big topic that we'll be talking about today. But uh, maybe maybe we'll just jump into a little bit about um, you're, you're going next week to talk to uh, the parliamentary committee about C-27. So maybe okay. tell our viewers what C-27 is and I'll kind of bring up a little bit of a blurb here. Okay, C-27. Um, now keep in mind in Canada, we've got federal jurisdiction, we've got provinces and we've got the territories. Um, each jurisdiction has public sector privacy. In Alberta, we've got a FOIP legislation, freedom of information and privacy protection that applies to the public sector. So the government, schools, hospitals, that sort of thing. Every province has the same thing for the public sector. At the federal level, there's also legislation that applies to the public sector, the Privacy Act and the Access to Information Act. When it comes to the private sector, many of the provinces have privacy legislation as well that applies only to the private sector. Uh, at the federal level, it's the, the acronym is PIPITA, the Personal Information Protection and Electronic Documents Act. Canada has never been great at making law with great sounding acronyms like the states, but True. Yeah. they'll get there maybe one day. PIPITA uh, applies to the private sector uh, in federally regulated industries, so broadcasting, air, rail, that sort of thing. Yeah. And it applies to the territories. Um, it came into force in 2001, its first phase. It was fully in effect in 2004, so almost 20 years. Okay. Nothing's changed in 20 years. And the law, nothing substantive. Yeah. But technology, but, of course, has absolutely. raced along. Absolutely. And a lot has changed there. So it's outdated. Um, a couple of federal privacy commissioners ago, Jennifer Stoddard, when she said she wasn't going to accept a reappointment of the position, said, I remember her being on stage saying, uh, the Pippita the could use um, a, a little more teeth. That was tough talk for her. Mm. Really, really, really. It basically is pretty toothless, but it's very much like so many pieces of privacy legislation that say um, an organization isn't allowed to refuse to provide you the good or service only because you refuse to allow them to collect your personal information. Mm -hmm. But that's exactly what happens. They say, give us your personal information or go somewhere else. Yeah. Okay, what personal information? Well, the personal information we're gonna collect because we need it. For what? Well, for business purposes and to provide you with a better viewing experience. Okay, and what, is, what exactly is a business purpose? To me, it's anything that improves the bottom line that's not illegal. That's a legitimate business purpose because that's why a for-profit company is in business is to improve their bottom line. It's vague language. Hmm. What has happened in the process is you go on a website 
you click I agree. Yes. Most people. So most a cookie people or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I agree. You don't know what you're agreeing to, but what it has caused is a brand new industry that has developed over the past 20 years, the data broker industry. Because you click I agree, which gives full license, really. It's taken as license for the companies, the websites that you're visiting, to give your information to other companies, to their affiliates, whoever that is. Party? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And what do they do? You know, you don't have a direct relationship with these data broker companies, but they're buying and selling and trading. They're getting bids uh, from advertisers to show the ad to you. So yeah. when Facebook says we don't sell your information, that, that's accurate. They don't sell it. They accept the fee for presenting an ad to you. Very careful wording. So oh, all of this has been going yeah. on. And it's great for business. It's great for commerce. It's not so great for you and me and our privacy. So in Ottawa, they, after many reports to Parliament, after many consultations, after commissioner after commissioner and privacy advocate and civil libertarian after civil libertarian has said, please change it to give Canadians a genuine, real right of privacy. It's not enshrined in our Charter of Rights and Freedoms. It's it's a UN declaration from long ago, 1948. Mm. But it's not recognized as a fundamental freedom in Canada. Please, mm. finally, legislate it, recognize it as a fundamental human right in Canada, change the law to update it, and that's exactly what Bill C-27 is. Okay. Problem is, it's um, a three-part piece of legislation. First part is to update PIPITA. Great. Um, there's some good parts about it. The title refers to Canadians as consumers. It is the Consumer Privacy Act. So we are all treated as consumers first and foremost, yeah. not as individuals with a privacy right. The second part creates a new tribunal. So imagine you have a complaint about an organization. You lodge that complaint with the Federal Privacy Commissioner who investigates, says, Yep, now I can levy a fine. I recommend a $100,000 fine. Yeah. Wait, now it goes to this new tribunal that's going to have a look, and they'll decide, yes, 100000 is fair. No, it should be less. It should be more. There shouldn't be any. Let's say they agree $100,000. And they say, company, you did wrong, $100,000 fine. The first part, the updated PIPA gives us a private right of action, so we can sue the company. Once the tribunal says yes, and the company exhausts its recourse, mm -hmm. so it can take it to court and then appeal it and appeal it and appeal it. Oh. However much they can, because there's legal recourse. So uh, our former privacy commissioner, the previous one to who we have now, said that he figures it'll delay justice by seven to 10 years and then assume the last appeal is exhausted and the court says, yes, company, the commissioner was correct. The tribunal was correct. Pay that $100,000. You did wrong. Yeah. I, the person, assuming I'm still alive, I still have my faculties. Yeah. We're talking years down the road. Now I get to hire a lawyer, go out of pocket, sue them. And you know what? Go through the whole appeal process again. So another, what, two, five, seven, ten 10 years? Yeah. Then the third part 
So I, I have my doubts about how workable and how effective and how useful that portion will be. The third part is ADA or AIDA, the Artificial Intelligence Data Act, which they're trying. It, it's a, a gesture to say we recognize that we have to do something because AI is now rampant. It's in every part of our lives, completely yeah. unregulated. We've got to do something. Other jurisdictions, other countries have put in AI legislation. We're behind the eight ball. We've got to do something. We haven't defined exactly what it is. We're not sure, but we're going to regulate it and say that it can't be used by the private sector unless it's the private sector doing work on behalf of the government. It doesn't regulate the government's use of AI um, and regulations to actually give the, the fine details we're told might be available in a couple of years. So that's where that one stands. It's under uh, study by the committee and they've had some amazing speakers, people who really, really know their stuff from privacy, from civil liberties um, and, and from industry. So it's going to be interesting to see what the committee does. And I'm looking forward to talking with them next week. So you're going in and, and, Basically, just are you, are you giving giving uh, suggestions, or or are you talking to them about um, you know uh, 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 make how to make changes or anything, or, or are you basically going in there and just kind of saying this is this is the way you interpret it? Um, yes, to all of the above. Now, okay. I haven't spoken before this committee before. I've spoken before other parliamentary committees, and I, as far as I know, they operate very much the same. Uh, a witness gets five minutes to say whatever they want, yeah. and then there's questions, questions and answers from the members of parliament who are on the committee or the associate members of the committee, and questions can be anything. They can throw anything at you. So there's a, a five-minute statement, and it'll be similar to what I just said, you know, that acknowledging that there, it is a good effort, it is absolutely yeah. necessary, um, but it has a ways to go before it's something that will actually provide genuine privacy for Canadians. Well, hopefully they they accept what you're saying because looking at the uh, the webpage here, it says it's already done the first reading and second reading, and now it's in consideration of committee. So, and then after that, then uh, then it goes to Senate. I'm assuming is that the. Um, First reading, second reading, it goes to committee. There's a third reading, it goes to Senate. No matter what the committee says, no matter what the senators say, they can suggest all the changes they want. I've seen where that happens. And then a bill goes back to the House of Parliament and the government says, thank you very much. We have consulted Canadians and we're doing what we want anyhow. Wow. But and the important thing is that there's greater awareness now and yeah. these comments from me and from all the other witnesses are wow. on the record now yeah that's important yeah well i know even when uh now this is of course through the government so what i'm going to say didn't really apply for government but uh there was the national citizens inquiry in, in regards to how the how the whole covid situation went and and vaccine mandates and all that and there was a uh, a committee put together through uh, what was supposed to be the federal, federal government that didn't happen through the government. So it ended up being a national private citizens inquiry and all this stuff is on record. Right. And the important thing is that it's on record. And even with your case, it will be on record, but it will be on record with the government. Right. 
it's on record with the government, but the committees publish reports and those are readily available. You, you just do a search of parliament and the reports will come up. Yeah. If you have a keyword, whether it's uh, spyware, facial recognition, transportation, uh, justice, whatever the keyword you're looking for, it is there. But I think it was Prime Minister Harper's government actually that said we are going to consolidate all of the government of Canada's many, many web pages, and we're going to present the most popular ones. Which, when I see that, it also tells me that we're going to make the rest of them less readily available. We're going to bury them. And that's dangerous because if it's only the popular stuff, how do you know what else there is? How do you know the questions to ask? And we need to start asking some questions, informing ourselves so that we can ask tough questions and know that when we get an answer, whether that answer is legitimate or um, a fantasy. So kind of censorship using privacy, um, really, because I mean, that's kind of, that's, if, if you're doing, if you're hiding something, no matter what you're doing, it's, it's censorship, right? Well, that, that's a matter of perspective these days in particular, because uh, I think it was the January 7th, the day after the, the insurrection, the insurrection in Washington, DC. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, I, I remember Prime Minister Trudeau saying, this is something what happened in DC cuts at the very heart of democracy. It was organized online and to protect democracy in Canada, because we can't possibly allow that sort of thing to happen in Canada. We have to control what is on the internet to protect democracy. Yeah. And I thought, and war is peace and hate mm. is love. <laughs> really? It's like, this is mind boggling, but he told us exactly what he was planning to do. Sorry. And now, we have that because yes. we have Bill C-18 that went through to That's say right. that the platforms uh, have to pay an unknown amount that could put them broke. They don't know. There's That's no way right. of telling. So yeah. they said, no, Canada is more nuisance than it's worth. We're just not going to put links up. You can still get your news, but you'll have to go to the source. Directly. We're not going to make it easy. Um, we have new law coming in. In Canada, the EU is maybe having second thoughts. The the UK, two weeks ago, they just passed what they call the Online Safety Act. Wonderfully euphemistic title to it. And basically, it's very much like, if you remember back in 2011, 2012, Vic Taves was Canada's um, justice minister. And they were trying to push through lawful access legislation to give the RCMP the tools they need to be able to protect children from mm -hmm. online predators. It's always about the children. Yeah. I have children. I want them to be safe online, of course, mm -hmm. but not at the expense of everybody. And that's exactly what's gonna happen because if you create a backdoor for the police, it's a backdoor that's open for anybody Explosive. who Absolutely. to exploit, yeah. exactly. Yeah. But it's always for the children. And how do you argue against that? Of course, everybody. And, and if you, you question it, oh, obviously, you don't yeah. like children. You're, yeah. Or you do like Vic Caves did. And he said, you're either with us or you're with the predators. And that basically got him laughed out of Ottawa. He went to sit on the bench in Manitoba. 
And I'm sure those words ring in his ears. I remember them well, because that's a problem. In Britain, the Online Safety Act is very much like the so-called chat control legislation that the EU was about to vote on this week until it came to light that the technology companies and their lobbyists had a part to play in writing the legislation. So that scandal brought the legislation to a screeching halt. Canada Mm -hmm. still has it in the works uh, and different pieces of legislation have components of it that all together will amount to we can still pound our keyboards. It's not going to affect our right to free expression. Yeah. The government isn't going to stop us. The government isn't going to censor us. So the charter works because it only protects us against government overreach. What's going to happen, though, is the government with these new laws are going to tell the platforms that generally are outside of Canada to block whatever the government doesn't want exactly made available in canada so it's an end run around our charter uh and now it's going to be up to the companies the platforms the isps to decide are they going to comply are they at risk of fines if they don't comply if they're outside of canada i don't know that it really matters to them or you know what meta was fined 400 and some million dollars back in november yeah that would put me broke it well, put me in the grave to them it's not even lunch money <laughs> so that's, it's, it's going to be interesting to see what the companies do and of course i was going to bring up what are the differences in in laws between canada and the uk and and europe and are are they doing any of these sorts of um like a an equivalent of c27 uh, to update privacy, well, in yeah. Europe, the GDPR, the okay. General Data Protection Regulation, came in in 2018. And okay. that very quickly became the global standard, the de facto standard. And it was much better than what Canada had in PIPITA. Uh, it also had international reach. And it was good. The The consent provision was a bit better, but really not a whole lot better the companies said this is going to be a huge burden and it did force them to comply and to take an inventory of the personal information they collect how they use it how they distribute it who they share it with where in the world it goes and you might have heard about max schrems the austrian law student who's now a lawyer and several years ago he said hang on a second facebook is here and Mm, they take my personal information to the states where you've got the department homeland security I, as a non-American, have no right to recourse. That is contrary to the GDPR. He brought it to court. It took many years. And the courts in Europe said, you're right, Mr. Schrems. Absolutely. So the U.S. basically had to figure out how to do it so that American companies could process, receive and process the information from European companies. Okay. So even if, even if, if you were to buy something and they want to take your email or your phone number or anything like that, and you're buying from Europe and uh, and you're buying something in the States, what happens with that information? Like, are they, they allowed to share that information? That might be a, a very specific question it, because there, there are so many variables, I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, you look at any website. There's a couple of things I do when I go on a website. Before I even go to the website, I open up a little um, search tool that I have. It does a very quick scan. 
to show what sort of cookies are on there. Uh, is the website using keystroke logging? Are they logging my mouse movements? Do they use Google Analytics? Do they yeah. use something called Facebook Metapixels? And you go on a website, even before you see the website, if they use Metapixels, the fact that you're there has already been disclosed to Facebook. Oh, and wow. you say, okay, but they don't know who I am, but they do because it is the, your IP address, which often doesn't change. Yeah. And it is the unique identifier of your phone, your tablet, your, your Mac address. Or, yep, exactly. exactly. Yeah. And that does not change. Yeah. And it, it doesn't take them a lot to figure out that this Mac address from this IP or that IP, it's still the same person. And then when you fill out a form there, you've given them your name, your phone number, your email address. They compile yeah. all of that, even if you don't have a Google or a Facebook account. So they know who you are. They know where you're going. They know what you buy. So have you given consent? Yeah. No. Yeah. So is this part of the whole, hey, you know, I was looking for lawnmowers the other day and happened to be in Lowe's. And now when I'm logging into my Facebook and I see all the ads for lawnmowers. That, that that's very much part of it now. I use a variety of ad blockers and mm -hmm. I also use one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine different browsers. And I have a couple others that I use on occasion. And I use one for some things and another one for other things. And I have the privacy settings different on each one. So very often a website won't work in one, but it will work in another. Um, most people, they use a computer, and they don't know about these things that are readily available, but then you go out to find an ad blocker. Which one do you get? Yeah. How do you know what's reliable? What's what's not a scam these days? It really is hard to tell. So I use these things. I do what I can. Yeah, I, I know how the game is played. I know that it's maybe a fool's errand and a waste of my energy, but I'm not just going to roll over and say, yeah, sure. Have at it. Yeah. I refuse. Yeah. It's too important. And of course we're, you know, even, even what I end up using is uh, a VPN uh, and I use express VPN not, that, that I'm not saying you should use it. I'm just saying that anybody, you know, if you're looking for B VPN, what are your takes on that? Because one of the reasons why I do that is because if I'm looking for um, commercials or uh, videos or something, say in the States, and of course you can't see them from Canada, then I just pretend I'm in the States using the VPN, right? And does that does that work in terms of privacy or do they still see, they don't see my IP address, but do they see my uh, my Mac or my uh, uh, my equipment? Yeah, of course they do. They do. Yeah. Um, I, I was recently in Japan just a couple of weeks ago speaking at the UN Internet Governance Forum and my co-panelist was the co-founder of the Tor Network, the Tor Project. Oh, yeah. And it was terrific. And I mean, you might have heard uh, Meredith Whitaker from Signal, which mm -hmm. is the fully end-to-end -end encrypted messaging system. She yes. has been very, very vocal yeah. uh, saying that with the British and the EU legislation that basically is going to require platforms to break encryption, to provide these backdoors, she said, we will not. There's wow. no ifs, ands, or buts about it. We will pull our service from your countries 
rather than build a backdoor because it is technically not possible to build a backdoor that's only available for some people, but not for others. That makes sense. Wow. And, and Roger from Tor Project, he said very much the same thing. And he said, it wouldn't matter if you threatened to put me in jail. We will not change that. Yeah. That's somebody who is, I mean, his integrity is amazing. And Meredith also, they understand what the risks are. But Tor is not a VPN. It's when you log on. Um, and I've used it for the same reason you have. Uh, I might be logging on from Germany or Afghanistan or Italy. There's no telling where in the world yeah. you're actually logging on from. And it makes it very, very difficult for anybody to trace who you are and where you're coming in from because the signal is bounced from private computers to private computers around the world. Yeah. No telling how many hops, no, minute, no telling how many different uh, personal servers it goes through. So you want to track me? Good luck. Yeah. So here's a question too. What about... Um... So if I'm looking for lawnmower is great. What happens if uh, um, we have we we have kids and uh, the kids end up going on and and doing something? And number one, I guess if they're searching while I'm doing stuff or using my account, but I'm more specifically worried about what they're looking for under their own account. And and so, are there any privacy laws or anything in regards to kids? For children, of course. Yeah. In the states. In the States, but yeah. not in Canada. Well, you see, that's, that's a catch. In Canada, everybody has the right to privacy. Yeah. It doesn't specify as of what age. Different provinces, uh, Alberta, you're legal at 18 years old. Uh, I think Ontario is, what, 19? It used mm. to be 21 in some provinces. So it's 18, 19. I think there's a couple places still 21. Uh, in Bill C-27, they're talking about minors. Well, what's a minor? The age of consent for sexual activity was raised from 14 to 16, mm -hmm. but you're still a minor. And if you do something, you know, if, if I have a 16 year old, a 15 year old who says, I can't live here, I'm out of here and becomes a street kid, I'm still responsible for them. But with other matters, especially some that you hear in the media these days, a parent doesn't have any say. The child is what emancipated. When it comes to online, and we've certainly heard of some absolutely horrendous things and, and children killing themselves because mm -hmm. of what goes on on the Internet. And once it's out there, you can't stop it. That's right. So kids yeah. are, I mean, angsty teenagers to begin with, and then they get embarrassed online. People tease them and you're never going to live it down because it's out there forever. You didn't yeah. believe your parents when they warned you. And now it is. And oh, my God, I can't do anything. I'm embarrassed. I can't tell my parents, I, I can't fix it. And kids have taken their own lives because of it. And that really is tragic. Yeah. But law isn't going to stop it. Law hasn't stopped it. Because the people who, whether it's predators or people with the means, money, and motivation to create deep fakes and synthetic porn, as it's now called, uh, completely artificial. But it looks and acts like pornography or child porn, um, they're still going to do it because they disregard the law in the first place. Yeah. So the law is, yes, it has to change, but the law is not going to change human nature. Mm -hmm. It's not going to change psychology. It's not going to change 
how people behave in large measure. Or we really wouldn't have people running a red light or a stop sign. There wouldn't be any murders or assaults. Law would change it, but law doesn't protect us. Law yeah. just tells us how to behave or what to do, what not to do. Yeah, you're right. And and I've said many, many times, the thing that I've got an issue with in terms of law is it comes down to you either um, go to court and you get a fine or a jail sentence, but there's a certain amount of time within that. And there's a certain way that, you know, people can get off. And, um, and it, it's just, it, it's, it's sad to, to know that we can actually be in a situation where kids can be, you know, uh, um, kids can kids can be in a situation where they they don't really want to be into. Maybe they've posted a, a picture of their face, and the next thing you know is that face is put on something else, and it's it's horrible, right? And it and is. and how do we even prevent that from even happening? Is it is it uh, is it the parents' responsibility? Is it the school's responsibility? to uh to have some sort of privacy uh application uh, in effect well i i take it a couple steps back if yeah. the government really is concerned about children then it's up to the government the people the people who are in yeah. government the people yeah. who are our elected representatives to make the changes necessary so that again privacy is a fundamental right so that the public policy funds education and requires proper education about all of this. Yeah. Ask anybody these days, how is a law made? Uh, I That's don't know. True. That's true. They don't yeah. know. Who makes laws? I don't know. Where do laws come from? I don't know. You know, back in, in before literacy was a thing in Western Europe and then in North America, the church the elite, the the rich people, they mm -hmm. are the ones who were allowed to learn how to write and how to read. That's right, exactly. And That's they are the ones who controlled the messaging. If yeah. I can't read and write, you can tell me whatever you want. I have no way of verifying it. I can't refute it. Mm -hmm. I don't know. And think of it, you know, we've had desktop computers for almost 50 years now. Yeah. Has there been really any education? No. So how can the parents and the teachers teach today's children when they themselves probably don't know a whole lot about it? Yeah. Or they make assumptions. I mean, I can tell you one about the family. And, it, you know, whether it's cars or law or jail, you know, we can talk about artificial intelligence, predictive policing and how people are thrown in jail because the artificial intelligence got it wrong. This has already happened in countries around the world. Um, I have grandparents who fled Russia. Well, I call it Russia. I don't know where the borders were at the time, but I just call it Russia. They fled after the uh, Russian Revolution. Mm -hmm. And actually, I, I have a little folder on my desk as a reminder. It's, it's somebody's Russian identity card. It's embossed with CCCP. Just a little reminder. So yes. they fled and they came to Canada and freedom and it was wonderful life. And they worked like dogs to, to scrape a, a living from a, a rocky piece of useless land. And my grandfather built a shack and they had children. And of course, one died because kids died then, in, you know, in their early years. Um, and he worked and raised a family. And then there was my parents, myself and my siblings. Great. 
I have a nephew. His mother studied history for her undergrad. She became a lawyer. Mm-hmm. My nephew studied history for his undergrad. He became a teacher. One day I am visiting my parents. There's my nephew sitting in front of my mother's computer and she had a screen, one of these great large ones. And I look over his shoulder and say, is that a family tree? I said, yeah. Is that me? Yeah, you're the only Sharon in the family. Yeah. And my birthday and uh, husband. Yes. And birthday and yeah. children and yeah. my husband's side of the family. And it's like, I didn't want that on the internet. I, yeah. Like, I didn't want it there. And I mean, by this time he's in his mid twenties and he whipped around and gave me a little like, oh, you old bag. I said, so what happens? Where is it? Oh, it's on Ancestry. Okay. And that's what by subscription. Yeah. And what happens when you don't pay the subscription? Oh, it's saved. Really? Where? Oh, Ancestry keeps it. And I'm thinking you studied history. Do you not understand how information is used? You studied World War II. Do you not remember? I now know all your family. The yep. Germans used, do you know what this is? I'm afraid to even ask, but it, obviously. It's a punch card. Yeah. It's, well, that it's, I knew it was a punch card, but what's what's the data on it? Is that oh, a, the, No, this this is a modern one. This is from, oh, okay. uh, this is from a, a company okay. in Calgary. I thought maybe it was uh, no, from no. Auschwitz or yeah. something like that. And this I didn't is know. rudimentary technology, and that was enough for IBM to yes. help the Germans catalog entire populations. Now we have people paying for the privilege of spitting in a vial so their DNA can be analyzed. And it went, oh, did I mention that nephew? His father did just that. He paid for the privilege of spitting in the vial, having his DNA analyzed, therefore mine as well. He never asked me. Wow. And uh, you heard that a couple weeks ago, 23andMe in the States, their records were breached. Yes. Yeah. And I don't know how many, I haven't found out yet how many millions of records were breached, but I have heard that over a million uh, records of people who the service identified as Ashkenazi Jews, those records are on the deep web for sale. Combined with what's going on in the Middle East now and on university campuses across North America, I, I can imagine those people are rather fearful these days Wow! for curiosity as a company made great profit and other companies used it for research, which is something in Bill C-27. It allows research. It doesn't specify research by whom. So as long as the information is de-identified, you don't even have, you don't have an opportunity to consent or deny consent to your information being collected. Yeah. So as long as it's, de-identified, but they can take your DNA and use it for research. And even if it's de-identified, it can be re-identified really very easily. So is there, is there any way that you can tell whether or not your the information is out there about yourself being used nefarious or never, never mind, just, is there a way that you can even just search to see if you've been hacked or, uh, or, or just, you know, your information there, there, is there are some things you can do yeah. i would not recommend 
venturing into the deep web that is like the 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 darkest alleys of of a town and you don't want to go there unless you actually know what you're doing and most people don't leave it to the experts who that's what they do don't go onto the deep web but you can do things like go to uh have i been pawned have h-a-v-e i v-e-e-n p-w-n-e-d.com um include that in the show notes and that's a, a a legitimate credible site it's operated by somebody high up in ibm in australia and he receives reports from people verifies the credibility of the breach report and he has for years now compiled the email addresses that have been involved in different hacks and breaches mm-hmm. and so you put in whatever email you use now whatever email you used when i don't know myspace was out yes when uh outlook mail or yahoo mail or whatever these things were you know 15 20 years ago that we all had accounts for and we just don't use but the accounts are still there nobody very few people have ever canceled them so cancel those accounts um and then have a look and see if your various emails have been hacked First thing you do is change your passwords. Yes. Absolutely change yeah. your passwords. And some people say, yeah, go to a, a password manager in the cloud. I don't. Because a cloud to me has always just been somebody else's computer. That is true. And I don't know why should I trust you? Yeah. Why should I trust them? I'll trust me. No, that's right. Because I I even use a password app, but I but I have a little bit of a system in terms of uh, how I generate passwords. But there are if I'm logging into something that's a one off kind of thing, uh, you know, my 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 Mac will come up and say, "Is is this password you want to use?" And it's like, "Yeah," because I'm probably never going to log into that again, right? Yep. And so or um, DuckDuckGo is one of yeah. the web browsers, and they offer something uh, where you can create a throwaway email address. Oh, that's right. I've heard that. Yes. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. So uh, it's whatever you want at duck.com and it automatically forwards to you so that your identity is hidden. Of course, if you reply, then it comes from your real email address. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. But then it's your choice if you choose to reveal who you are through that legitimate email address. Yeah. Do do a uh, much as I dislike Google products because they monitor everything. Mm-hmm. Um, there are certain times where I will use them carefully, and I use it on a browser that is automatically set to eliminate, not accept cookies in the first place, eliminate cookies, and then I manually, as soon as I close it, I manually open it up again and clear the cookies and the cache. Yeah. That's how particular in particular I am about it. But go in there and. Do a Google search of yourself. Yeah. And if you have nicknames or diminutives, you know, if it's uh, Robert, Bob, Bobby, yeah. all the variations with middle initials or preceding initials, search for yourself. You might be very surprised what you find. Things that you, you made a comment 15 yeah. years ago, you forgot about, it's still there. Yeah. It's still there. That's That's crazy. Um, one of the last bit of notes, uh, a bit of a stretch in the topic, but uh, we're at uh, 52 minutes in here, and I, you know, we want to have some time for for question and answers. One of the notes was: Are our businesses allowed to monitor 
employees. And so here's here's a typical example. You're given a laptop or a phone uh, from your company and you're able to use it you know, for, for work, but you also want to have Netflix and do that. Are, are companies allowed to monitor that? If it's a company device, yeah. don't expect privacy. It yeah. is their device. Yeah. But what happens if you choose to use your personal phone because you don't want to carry two? And they say, well, we're going to put endpoint software on it. We're going to monitor it. If it uh, goes missing, we're going to delete everything on it, including everything personal on it. Make a choice. Either you get to accept that or carry two phones. That would be my choice, but I make my own choices. You make yours. Yeah. Uh, what happens, though, if... And here's a situation I had with a client. They wanted me to assess a, a piece of software they were going to be bringing in for their rolling stock, their graders, their trucks, their snowblowers, their snowplows, uh, the dump trucks. Yeah. And it's to be able to report to the community that uh, a grader went past on the main drag 20 minutes ago. Uh, it's going to be there at a quarter after 11. So people can see where's a clear route so that I can get out okay. and do what I have to do, that sounds legit. Sounds legit. Yeah. yeah. They're not tracking the employee, they're tracking the vehicle, but the vehicle yeah. to operate, the employee has to sign in with their employee number. And if it's a community where the employee is allowed to take the vehicle home at night, you know, they might get called out in the middle of the night. Well, that vehicle is attached to the person is tracking them. And never, ever is it to track the employee. It is for the employee's safety. It's not to track their productivity. It is for safety. Everything's for safety. Yeah. It's always for convenience for us or safety for them. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, there's an office building in Toronto where they've got, they have to put up signs saying, smile, you're on camera. And if you have a problem with it, call wherever. Often the signage, either they, they haven't gotten around to putting it up yet, or it's hard to find, or it's, you know, a very small type over there at the other side. Imagine it's an office tower in downtown Toronto under CCTV scrutiny constantly. But there is a secret police division where um, there's uh, confidential informants come in sometimes. Mm. And who gets to see the films from the CCTV cameras? Yeah. People's lives sometimes are put at risk. There's, there's, I don't want to say short-sightedness, but there's a lack of imagination sometimes to appreciate what the unintended consequences can be. And they can be really, really devastating. Yeah. And I was going to say, you know, no matter what law or uh, a situation is, is, is put in place, there's always going to be exceptions to the rule. And I guess what we should be trying to do is, is minimize those exceptions. And, um, and if we have proper laws that have actually been, uh, uh, vetted properly and, and have the right wording to it, then, you know, it, things, things should be better in the long run. However, the last few years we've seen that we seem to have less and less privacy. We seem to have less and less freedoms, despite the fact that everyone says, well, we're back to normal again. And we haven't even touched on the, uh, the whole, uh, privacy. My big concern 
is of course I, I deal with uh, jukeboxes and arcade games and, and that. And before COVID, um, most of my, most of the money coming into the business was cash because cash is really not traceable, right? Somebody has got a $20 bill and they put it into the machine. Nobody knows where that $20 came from. Um, you know, it comes in, gets reported or divvied up or however it is. Um, and even going back, taking that money to the bank, you know, you put money in, you put a few, well, for me, put a few thousand dollars in at a time, no questions asked. Now, if I come in there with cash, the first thing they ask is, where did this cash come from? And, and that, and so that's part one, but part two is also, I have noticed, and again, just using my own personal uh, experience was pre-COVID, I would say 90% of the money going to the machines was probably cash, 10% credit card app or whatever it is, depending on the game. Now it's totally reversed. It is 90% uh, credit card app and only 10% cash. And I'm not sure if people really realize that when they're using their credit card for something like that, it's also traceable. And you were at this particular machine and, and doing that. And they're willing to give that privacy up willy nilly, really. Do they they're, do they're fine. They're fine with it. Most people don't realize they're giving yeah. their privacy up that every transaction, every time you make a purchase, whether it's with your bank card or your credit card, it is being tracked, yeah. Yeah, which is why, uh, what was it, a few years ago, uh, Target in the States sent pregnancy coupons for uh, pregnancy products to a teenage girl. That blew the whistle. Her father wow. found she before she knew. Why? Purchasing. The yeah. purchase records. And don't forget, COVID was an absolute opportunity. What, what's the saying? Never let a... a good crisis go to waste where everybody was pushed to don't touch filthy lucre use credit it's touch free you won't get germs don't touch anything don't handle filthy cash don't touch a machine just tap ever so carefully from six feet away tap and you can pay for it that way buy it online it's much more convenient yeah what they didn't talk about is that every transaction is being traced and worse than that Never mind the buy local campaigns and people keep buying it with their credit card, which means a portion of the purchase goes to the credit card company. Two and a half to five percent, easy. Higher, yeah. Uh, purchase goes to the merchant. Yeah. The more we use digital, the more that plays right into the hands of industry and government. That's saying we're bringing in digital currency, yeah. central controlled digital currency so that we can track who's buying what, when, and what happens if the people in central control look and say, huh, you had pizza last week. We're not letting you order a pizza this week, but it's bad for your health. Because the experts have decided that too much cheese and you're eating too much cheese because you're ordering a cheese pizza. That's what we're looking at with centrally controlled digital currency. And some people say, you know, you get out from under your tin foil hat. I take that as a compliment now because honestly, there's been times, so many times where I say, I hope I'm wrong and I'm not wrong. Yeah. And I, I've got a colleague 
he did his PhD on central bank digital currency, and we've had great discussions about this. And it's exactly what he's been saying also is the more we give up using cash, the more that plays into the hands of those who want to push the digital. And it's going to come to a point where they say, here's digital. No one uses cash anymore. So obviously they want digital or they would still use cash. Yeah. We need to use cash more often. We definitely need to use cash. And And when I go to make a uh, withdrawal and the teller at the bank says, oh, are you going away? What are you using the $2,000 for? Yeah. My answer, give me my cash, please. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, someone just uh, posted that too. I'm I'm just gonna say that because it's uh, uh, I must have lost that. But yeah, someone just said. People ask what what's the money f- for, and of course, even in mine, if I'm depositing, they're asking where it's coming from. It's never never mind. It's tip money. Like, does it matter where it's come from? No, but FinTrack, the the government's agency to try and prevent and and uh, monitor money laundering and criminal activity uh they say to the banks report suspicious activity literally people have been reported because they look suspicious what constitutes suspicious he was wearing a hoodie and he had the hood pulled up that's suspicious people have been reported for that sort of thing why because people in banks like judges like teachers like parents like everybody most people who don't live this stuff the way i do and some of my colleagues do they don't know as much about it because i don't expect them to why should they they know what they do yeah. and i hope they know it well and do it well yeah that's, i'm not going to presume to know what they do well that's one of the reasons why we do these webinars is to is to educate um our our viewers and and hopefully have them educate their friends and family and say you know, this is basically what they're planning on doing. We should be using cash more. And a lot of people will say, well, you know, my my uh, check goes right into my bank and it's just more convenient for me to be using my debit card and, and that. What do you what do you say to people like that? Like, is it is it better to go in and actually take out cash? Like, If like you understand the consequences, if you actually really genuinely do understand the consequences and that's your choice, great. But if you don't understand the consequences, and I, I mean, if, if I asked my bank what happens, they don't know. I came back from Japan, and if, I know the answer, but I said, oh, uh, the kiosk to put in my customs declaration, is there uh, facial recognition? And the fellow goes, oh, I don't know. And he pulls over one of his colleagues and says, is there, she wants to know, is there facial recognition? Goes, no, I don't think so. They use live facial recognition in the yes. airports. And of course there's facial recognition. The people who work there, either they've been told nothing, they've been told don't say anything, they don't know, they don't care. It's just go through the line, please, just move ahead. Yeah. If you know and you choose, fine. But if you don't really know and you ask the people who also don't know, and they usually they buy the products and the services from vendors whose main interest is their bottom line, not your privacy or mine. Mm-hmm. You know, who who's benefiting by this? That that's always an important question to ask, you know, follow the money. And it's true. And it doesn't matter your your religion or your age or your political persuasion or your health. These things are affecting everybody. 
now completely. So we have to start asking a lot tougher questions, informing ourselves. You know, I tell people, you doom scroll for hours looking yeah. at cat videos and dog videos. Inform yourself. The information really is there. Learn learn how to discern whether it's a, a legitimate, credible source or yeah. somebody just trying to sell you something or scam you. Yeah. Learn. That's and right. And then ask tough questions of our elected representatives at every level, whether it's the, the municipality that's putting in public safety measures with cameras on every street corner and microphones, because that technology uh, is available for the 80,000 street lights that Calgary yeah. put in a few years ago. Um, they don't talk about that, though, do they? No, no they you don't. Know, we have to ask questions and insist on answers and then ask questions about the answers we get, because and it's now up to us to educate them. So who do we ask the questions to? Especially like if, if it's in Calgary and uh, we're talking about the, the streetlights, do we talk to our counselor? Do we talk to a uh, city of Calgary operations person? Like where do, where do we even go? Well, for city of Calgary and, and other cities that use a 311 service, I mean, it used to be a whole lot easier because you say, you know, you'd call up and say, I'd like to talk to somebody in the roads department and you get put through. Now it's what's your concern? Yes. We will pass the message along and someone will get back to you when, that is as soon as possible. Yeah. When's that? Yeah. I, I like specifics. So 311 is good as a, as a, as a gatekeeper. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm sure they do very good work, but I like the old way for some things. It's not so easy to get a hold of a department. It is possible still to do your own research. Uh, when people speak at conferences, they put presentations up and very mm -hmm. often those presentations are posted yeah. and the very last slide is contact information. Yes. That's and that's right. a, that's a way of starting. So you get to learn how to be a bit of a sleuth and yeah. find how to contact people, but certainly start with not only your ward alderman, yeah. council member, uh, talk, uh, talk to the FOI department, the freedom of information, yeah. uh, person in every municipality or a chief administrative officer in a smaller community. They mm -hmm. are the privacy and access person. Um, ask, depending what it's about, whether it's the fire department, the police department, parks, bylaw, uh, a company, if you see that they're doing work for the city, ask them. They won't be able to tell you a whole lot they shouldn't tell you a whole lot they might just refer you to the city but you can ask them who in the city do i talk to yeah start asking questions raise awareness that you're interested in learning more about it you want to know you care because yeah. people care a whole lot more than the media and some elected officials would have us believe yeah one thing that I, another Thing I wanted to bring up was we had a conversation before we went on on air here about um, about judges and you went to a conference and the the question was are are the laws changing or privacy changing so fast and how do judges and lawyers keep up and I want you to just tell the story about uh, what happened with you in terms of uh, a judge coming up and talking to you. Well, I'll, I'll give this to you in a couple of different portions. Yeah. Do you remember a few years ago when credit cards, they, they were going to come out with chips? Oh, yes. I, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it was all the rage here. Yeah. And there was a conference held uh, at the Deerfoot Casino mm -hmm. and someone uh, from the Calgary Police Department invited me to join the conference that day, terrific. It was a good day to rob a bank because I'm sure every RCMP was there. municipal cop from Southern Alberta was there. Terrific. You look around, it was a sea of gray hair though. A lot of senior brass was there. And I remember when the fellow from Visa was up on the stage and he said, chip cards don't give any greater protection. They don't give any greater security. Actually, they give less, but mm. it gives people a warm fuzzy. Yeah. And you see the, the deer in the headlights look from some of these senior members, sworn officers of the law. They have no idea what this guy is talking about. A young cop, she, you, she and I ended up talking and she said, I need to know what this is about because I'm the one when someone calls the police, I go to their home. I go and sit down at their kitchen table and I have to help them. And I don't know what this is about. Yeah. She was probably in her late twenties at the time. Yeah. University educated. She doesn't know what this is about. Move the clock ahead. Uh, as you mentioned, I went to a conference in Montreal a few years ago and it's, uh, it was all about privacy. And you end up talking with the person next to you and talking to the fellow next to me. You look to be, I don't know, mid sixties. Yeah. And turns out he's from Montreal. Oh, what part of Montreal? Where'd you go to high school? I grew up in Montreal. So you start comparing notes, you know, oh, you went to that high school. I went to chit chat. Yeah. I said, so, you know, I live in Calgary. Where are you these days? Montreal. I says, no, nah, I live in Vancouver. Oh yeah. I'm a judge there. I'm on the bench. And I said, oh, so you're here just to brush up on, on the latest changes in case law? He said, no. And he's sitting there with his arms, his, his elbows on his knees and his head down. He's looking at me kind of skulkily and goes, no, I'm, I'm here to learn. I don't know what this is all about. And I'm, I'm adjudicating cases already. I, I don't know what this stuff is about. I'm here to learn it. Wow. So there's... I researched more recently and confirmed my worst suspicion when it comes to this. When somebody is appointed to the bench, within the first five years, they have to take two courses, mm -hmm. one on criminal law, one on family law. Yeah. That's all. And that's it. That's all. They, the, the presumption is they will continue to uh, educate themselves and you know whether it's following new decisions and the latest law journals from Canada and elsewhere and case law. Sure. But about technology, are they required to, is it available? It would be nice if it was, if we so, knew for sure and had the reason to trust that they know what they're adjudicating, that would be great. And, and that brings up the, 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 the interesting point about they're actually making case law they're actually uh presiding over cases that are going on right now and they are coming up with verdicts uh setting precedent and they still don't really know what's happening in terms of privacy they might they might not okay. but it's like anything else they take the word they have no option sometimes but to take other people's word for it no. the experts the consultants the people who sometimes have a biased view you know if you're brought in by defense counsel you're going to say something to help the defense you're going to be unbiased you're going to present the facts but there's other facts you might not prioritize if it doesn't help your client 
Same thing on the prosecution side. So there eventually is a balance if both sides can pay for the equivalent yeah. caliber of experts. It's like a procurement person in any organization, whether it's public or private. If they don't know what it is they're buying, someone says, hey, get a, a CRM, get a whatever type of application or system. Okay, so we'll put an RFP together. We'll get bidders in and, and we'll pick from what they say. We don't know exactly what to ask when it comes to privacy. We're going to have to take the vendor's word for it that they are going to do whatever they do according to privacy law but we're not sure what that is so we can't challenge them on it so again we're at the mercy of the vendor whose main interest is their bottom line not our privacy not us being able to meet our legal requirements our obligations under the law to only collect the personal information that we actually need and have a reason, a valid business or legal reason to collect, that we only process what we need to, not yeah. collect it just in case we can use it someday in the future. Yeah. So I'm assuming privacy is a big business. Like every corporation and every company, every school, they all deal with some sort of privacy. Or, or do they? Like, are there uh, people that are actually employed as a privacy coordinator or is it just, oh, you know yeah. what, we'll throw it to HR, we'll throw it to a lawyer? Um, well, yeah, lawyers, sure. And, you know, I've gone into clients and said, you know, I'm, I'm happy to sign a, a non-disclosure agreement and, you know, this, that, and the other thing about privacy. And they say, okay, well, we'll give it to our lawyer uh, who, you know, they'll, they'll take care of the privacy side of it. You know, you just have a look at this system. Oh, Okay. And what area of expertise is your lawyer? Oh, they're really good on contracts or they're really good yeah. litigators or what? Yeah. You know, to me, that's like saying I'm going to have my nose job done by my proctologist because they're both doctors. Wow. wow. There's yeah. some transferable skills, yes. But unfortunately, a lot of Canadian companies have not done a whole lot when it comes to complying with privacy legislation because really, there's no penalty. Uh, and actually, in the 20 years that TIPIDA has been in force, the Federal Privacy Commissioner of Canada, they do surveys every now and again, and they did one fairly recently uh, that showed 54 or 56%, barely more than half of Canadian companies that they surveyed have privacy policies or even have designated somebody to be responsible for privacy issues. You know, that's a basic fundamental thing. Yeah. It doesn't take 20 years to figure out. And that they haven't even bothered complying with. So yeah, there are some organizations that do have a privacy officer, a privacy department, yeah. particularly if they're a large organization that works in different jurisdictions but here's one i was at a conference uh in montreal a couple weeks ago and it was the people the privacy officers from airlines around the world mm -hmm. i was talking with one from a major american carrier i cannot name names and you'll understand why yeah. Yeah. and he said you know we have in my department more people working on privacy than all of the other major carriers combined Wow. That's great. But wow, that's, uh, that just yeah. shows how much they care and how much labor there is involved in, in, in privacy. 
there's a lot of work to be done on all sides of it, but privacy, and I've seen this throughout my career, it's the wrong side of the ledger. It doesn't generate revenue. That's right, it doesn't. It's a cost, like paying your insurance. Everybody grumbles until there's a claim. Yeah. And when it comes to privacy, especially when there's no penalties or the company is penalized, but not a person. Yeah. Like with Meta, if the company is fined, it's a line item. It's a reduction in tax liability. Yeah. That's all. Yeah. It's almost meaningless. So, you know, when SOX came in after Enron, uh, if anybody remembers that one, the Sarbanes-Oxley Act in the States mm -hmm. came in. It was a financial accountability law saying that the senior person would now be personally responsible. And if something happened, they would be facing million-dollar fines and jail time. Yeah. Companies, including in Canada, scrambled to become compliant with SOX because there is a personal penalty. That's right. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Not Only here yet. Oh, not here yet. I was going to add. Oh, wow. No, companies. But I mean, the Alberta commissioner has the power to order fines. And every now and again, you hear that, uh, you know, a nurse looked at a patient's file that wasn't one of her patients and has been fined $10,000 or another individual uh, was curious and snooped in some files and they get fined. No. Yet you go back, oh, eight or 10 years, maybe where IBM w went to pick up some backup tapes from the Department of Health, Ministry of Health in Edmonton, mm -hmm. the backup tapes got lost. There was an investigation. I do remember that, yeah. Yeah. And the outcome of the investigation was that they had tightened up processes, and now when the courier came to pick up the tapes, the backups, they would sign for it so that there was a consistent chain Trace of... Yeah. Yeah. Was anybody held accountable? Did anybody get fired? Was there mandatory training? No I idea. So. Yeah. I, hope so. I would hope so. I hope so. All right. <clears throat> We're going to answer some of the uh, the questions that have uh, come up here. We'll uh, sure. we'll do about 10 more minutes here and then, you know, this this is this has been great. I'm uh, I'm definitely going to say We'd like to have you come back and, and talk a little bit more about uh, about privacy and and I'm sure lots will change, especially depending on the state of Bill C twenty seven. So um, you know when you do come back, hopefully you'll be able to bring in some insight into that. So um, here a question right from the get go here was uh, what about uh, digital bill of rights in terms of I guess is there such thing or can we make a digital bill of rights? Well, a bill of rights would be really nice, but uh, if it is something, if it is by law and required, do we need a separate bill of rights? Because mm -hmm. again, that's going to take a long time to hammer out. Yeah. Why not just declare that Canada recognizes privacy as a fundamental human right in keeping with the UN Declaration from yeah. 1948? Uh, if it's going to be a voluntary thing, then I look to the voluntary codes of practice and customer bills of rights that we've seen from the advertising industry from the automotive industry from other industries to say yep this is we're going to do the right thing we're going to be ethical we're going to comply with this voluntary code of practice but we're not going to do it yet but the others can by all means but we, we absolutely support it nothing comes of it because it's voluntary yeah and it, it's a, a it's a, a cost to them it doesn't improve their bottom line 
So question about what, uh, please elaborate on what SOX compliance is. I've heard the acronym a few times at work and you, you briefly talked about it. And of course we just literally talked about it. So I thought I'd bring that up right now. So what, uh, what exactly happened with, with SOC? What, I guess what happened with Enron? What happened with SOX? Kind of oh, back in, what was it? The, the late nineties, I think it was. Somewhere in there. Yeah. there was a consulting company. There was Anderson Consulting um the there was the, the big five at the time five mm -hmm. major global consulting companies and anderson was one of them and uh an energy trader i think enron was and there, there was a scandal and something happened and all of a sudden there's talk of and pictures of people shredding documents because this was a major problem major scandal um and it was all their financials and the US government investigated, uh, a couple of people ended up in jail, somebody high up in Enron killed himself because he was gonna be facing, you know, have, have to face the music. Anyhow, they brought in this new piece of financial responsibility legislation, Sarbanes-Oxley, that said, and I remember when they announced it, they said, and from now on, the executive is going to be responsible for what's in the financial statement of a company. Mm -hmm. And I laughed and thought they already are, they except that it had never been enforced. That's right. Yeah. You know, here's the financial statement. Okay. So money went sideways. You can't identify where it is. There's problems. Who do you talk to the company? No, now socks made it change. Now under socks, it is a person. It is a member of the executive they personally are on the hook yeah. and that's when things changed when there was personal responsibility and accountability imposed yeah. and you can't get out of it that's right uh let's jump to a different question here um can you add a link to tour and other resources as discussed uh, do we do we have any links or anything that you can think of off the top of your head if not, um, we can always add them in later too. The Tor browser, uh, it's a download. You, okay. you download the browser. Yeah. And they don't keep any information about you. None. Them and Signal. Those yeah. are really two of the best at this point because the way they work, they don't keep any information about you. They don't ask any information about you. The other one is Proton. Uh, they're yes. out of Switzerland and you yeah. can use uh, a cloud there you can have email through proton proton mail yeah proton mail yeah and they've got a vpn service and i mean there's vpns available all over the place and every now and again you hear that ah that vpn they were actually they had a good pr and advertising campaign but they were actually taking all your information anyhow mm -hmm. again do your research um and it means digging because very often there's no contact information. Send us an email, send us information on a contact form. There's no one to talk to. You get bounced around. No one calls you back. To me, that's a red flag. Yeah. It really is. Or you end up talking to a salesperson, but do your research. This is your privacy. This is everything that you discuss. And we have someone in Alberta, Senator Paula Simons. She used to be a journalist. She's been a senator for years. And we invited her, Privacy and Access Council invited her to uh, speak at a conference not too long ago. And I remember she said, she talked about her family history, German lineage, this, that, and the other thing. And 
she said, uh, governments aren't always benevolent. And governments that today are benevolent might mm. not be tomorrow. So yeah. what you say today is okay. And then if things change tomorrow or next week or next month, and someone goes back and has a look and says, hmm, you posted something on Twitter Come explain yourself. We've seen that. Yes, we've seen that. Lots of lots of friends of uh, and family that I know, even on Facebook, they were shut down for thirty days because of something that they put six year six years ago. Yep. Do you remember the Mark McCarthy Red Scare era? I Probably read about it in history books. I yeah. did. Uh, where it was the what the un-American act or something like it. it. It was about communism. They were afraid in the States that communism was coming in and yeah. Senator McCarthy would haul people in and say, we think you're a communist, explain yourself, prove to us you're not. That's right. And I what have... ended up happening is like what happened in East Germany where people would snitch on their neighbor to deflect attention away from themselves. Wow. We've seen people snitching on neighbors in Canada too lately. So yes, we have. Tor yeah. browser, yeah. DuckDuckGo as a, a browser. Uh, th there's a few of them. Uh, if you want, I can send you a list of some of these. That would be great. Uh, we can resources. post in the notes for sure. Yeah. Sure, I'll do uh, that. Here, here's a statement. Uh, Wendy says, Sharon, we're all compromised. It's too late. Phone calls can now have a bot on the other end that sound like me. I think I think it's all too late. I, I'm going to throw up my hands and say no. I, everything is compromised. What do, you, what do you say to that? An awful lot already is compromised. Uh, we have been like boiling frogs. It has yep. crept up on us and we have allowed it to happen because we didn't know any better and we trusted and we did all the things that we've been raised in this culture to do. Yep. Trust authority, obey, do as you're told, don't talk back, don't ask questions. Yeah, Who do you right. think you are? Right. So you go along with it because you go along to get along, right? And I've been told the same thing for an awful lot of years, and that's not me. I ask questions. Uh, have I been compromised? Of course. But that doesn't mean I'm just going to roll over and post my birth certificate yeah. and my bank statement and my passwords. There are some things. I'm not going to make it easy. Yeah. I do lock my door on my home and on my car. Mm -hmm. If somebody wants to break in, I'm going to make it less convenient. I'm going to change my passwords. I'm going to use strong passwords. I'm going to use different browsers. I'm going to ask, why are you asking for that information? Mm -hmm. Oh, it's store policy, good, but what's the reason? Po store policy is not a reason. Why? And then, you know, if it's a reasonable estimation, okay, yeah, you're right. You want my birthday to distinguish me from the other Sharon Polsky. Mm -hmm. Okay, it makes, makes sense. Yep. Give me a reason. Ask questions. It will also make the people who are asking for your information think. Yeah. And that is important yeah. increasingly. Yeah. It's not too late. Don't throw up your hands. Push back. Yeah. And the more we talk, the more we ask questions, you know what? Maybe it'll help the people who could make the changes, who have the authority and the power to make the changes to protect themselves and us, maybe it'll convince them, they'll see the light and realize, yeah, these people know what they're talking about. They've educated me. I'm gonna lead the charge to make a change to protect their, my constituents' privacy, my privacy, my children's, my grandchildren's. Yeah. 
I, the elected representative, have a responsibility, not just to keep my job, not just to keep my party in power, but to the people who elected me. Um, Wendy also says, so obviously while we were doing this, we, she checked the uh, haveibeenpond.com, which is scrolling along the bottom. She says, I just checked on pond. And I had, this is exactly how she speaks, by the way. I just checked on pond and I have 15 breaches and two paste. Now what do I do? Other than changing passwords or maybe using a different email, like what do you, what do, you do? Uh, change your passwords yeah. to something. And if it was password one, first of all, there, there are some standard, very, very weak passwords. Password. I love one, two, you. Three, <laughs> one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one, yeah. uh, or password one, yeah. password two. Those are so easy. Anything from a living or dead language, including Sanskrit. I have a friend who speaks Sanskrit uh, and everybody knows this is a dead language. It's not. If it's from a language, it's easily discovered and figured out because there's very sophisticated computer programs dedicated to finding out what these things are. Uh, Figure out something that works for you. Uh, Letter number, letter, letter, the acronym from your favorite book and the street name three streets over yeah you know yeah. Some, something obscure that, like that, that you can remember that's meaningful to you it yeah. becomes a pattern it's a different password for each yeah. website you go to maybe it's a component of the website address that you embed not the full address but just something in it yeah. so you take the same something from each website and include that Figure out something that works for you that's hard to guess. But if it is an email that has been compromised, change it. If that email is one that's attached to any prepaid accounts, your cell phone, your utilities, change it immediately and get in touch with the provider, your utility company, and ask them to put a password on your account, put a blocker on your account, so somebody else can't call in, say, oh, well, here's the email address, yeah. and then take over your account, because that happens. That's right. That's right. Uh, get in touch with the credit bureau. You can do this online. Uh, the two credit bureaus in Canada, um, last time I checked, you can do it online. You have to reveal your social insurance number and your birthday. Hmm. They have that information anyhow, so it's a it's a choice. But uh, And you put a block on your uh, your credit record so That's that right. somebody else can't go in and apply for credit on your good name. And if yeah. somebody else does, credit bureau is supposed to get in touch with you. So if you've lost your wallet, somebody stole your car and any personal information, the registration card, the insurance card, the mail that you picked up and left on the back seat, if any yeah. of that is in your car, yeah. call, do it automatically, put a block on your credit record with Equifax and TransUnion. Yeah. Great advice. Great advice. Um, I'm going to do one last question, but it's actually kind of two of them. Um, I just have to find out where the second one went to. Um, Do you have any insights on digital ID? And I'm assuming it's more like, say, the Alberta digital ID. And then the second part is also, what about our health records? Are they shared between other companies or are they just on your doctor's files? (laughs) Do you have any insight on that? Is that yeah. going to be a two-hour conversation? 
digital ID. Uh, you go to Europe and everybody carries around a digital, uh, a national identity card, okay. which is great. They've been doing that for, for decades. Okay. Of course, during World War II, it also made it really easy to catalog who was in the city and where you came from and where you went to. Okay. Now we have a digital being promoted because there's a lot of people in the world, and it's true, there is literacy problems in a lot of countries in the world, and they don't have the luxury of hopping a bus and going to the, the registry and getting their picture taken, and they don't know how to write or how to read. It's a fact of life for millions of people. Digital identity will help them. But when everything is required to be embedded in a digital identity, and who controls that? That's the question I want answered. In the early days, I asked TELUS, I, I was a TELUS customer, and I said, so I asked the privacy commissioner's office at the time. I said, the law says that the person who controls the information is responsible for it. I have a cell phone. I cannot change any information on my account. The phone company does. Yeah. I cannot encode my phone. I cannot change the phone number in my phone. I cannot do a lot of things in my phone except use it. So if I lose my phone, who's responsible for the information? Mm -hmm. And they gave a great long explanation and they discussed this and they analyzed that. And the bottom line was, that's a good question. Wow. What happens when all of your information is embedded on your phone mm -hmm. and the phone dies? You go to hospital. How do they get any information off of it? Never mind your phone dies. It got smashed. Yeah, absolutely. In the vehicle yeah. when, when there was a crash. Yeah. They can't figure out who you are and you don't carry anything in your wallet anymore because that's paper and that's so old fashioned. Yeah. So there, there's physical life changing risks to digital ID. Mm -hmm. There's the risk of, again, central control yeah. and increasingly is being billed as to prevent fraud, to be more convenient for us because, you know, we won't have to carry all sorts of things. We can just carry our phone, but not everybody has or can afford a phone that's capable of that. So how do you accommodate for them as well? Yeah. Uh, you know, you get arrested, you, everything gets taken away and put in, in a locker somewhere. I don't know. Uh, how do you call someone? We don't remember phone numbers anymore. They're all in our phones. Call mom, call George. Uh, that's very well, true. Very true. We used to remember computers have made us stupid. They, they yeah. I'm not sure what, what area of the brain that I used to remember phone numbers. I'm not sure what it's doing right now, but it's certainly gone. Yeah. And then, you know, health records, uh, pandemic you were talking about before everybody was told, don't go to a doctor. There's sick people yeah. there. Of course there are. Yeah. Don't go out. Don't go out. Go online. Uh, there's a new service. It, it's telehealth, telemedicine. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And it's, Yes, it's convenient. But now I look, there's a company out of the UK, Babylon Health. Hmm. Tell us about Babylon in Canada. Babylon itself has gone bankrupt. What happens to all the health records they oh, amassed? Wow. It's like Clearview AI. Do you remember that? Uh, uh, no, not Clearview, Cambridge Analytica. Facebook oh, yeah, Cambridge yeah, yeah. Analytica, that one? Yeah. 
Yeah. And then Cambridge Analytica declared bankruptcy. And what happened to all the records of all the people that they had collected? Yeah. It's an asset. It is a business asset. And they sold it to another company that they had created. And yeah. no one talks about it. There, It's gone. They have your information. You have no contact with them. You have no relationship with them. You didn't agree to it. It's a business asset that was collected with your <laughs> consent. That's right. And so, you know, health in Alberta, keep in mind, under the Health Information Act, we don't have an option to say no. So our information is collected. Yeah. It is used. Yeah. We can't, we're not allowed to say no. So when there was one article in the newspaper about it at the very beginning of COVID that said a brand new lab had been set up. It was a collaborative effort between, I think it was the University of Alberta and Alberta and Edmonton Hospital, Calgary Hospital, Calgary University, don't quote me. There was, I think, three of these. They created a new lab and apparently every swab was sent there. Every swab contains DNA. Yeah. And is there for research? By who? I don't know. Is it by Alberta Health? I don't know. Is it by a pharmaceutical company? I don't know. You're right. I and I I'd imagine most people in Alberta got swabbed at some point in their, you know, the last three or four years. Mm-hmm. Where is that information right. gone? You are right. correct. You are correct. So even if you didn't get vaccinated, uh, chances are something Someone out there has some information on you. It's very, very possible. You know, I go to my doctor's office on their screen. It's tell us, tell us health. Yeah. Uh, is it actually tell us? Is it uh, another company that tell us bought and has that branded as a tell us right. company, which yeah. I think is the case might yeah. not be, but yeah. I think that's the case with a lot of large companies is they acquire other companies that have specializations so that they can diversify and broaden their revenue generation capacity. And who has access to that information? And where is their help desk? Because if the help desk is outside of Canada, or you call to make an appointment, and you get the confirmation by text message from a service in the States, did you authorize it? I didn't. Well, this has certainly been uh, eye-opening about privacy. Now, uh, now I'm just going to stay in my basement and not go out and do anything. <laughs> don't, don't go out. Pay cash. Ask questions. Yeah. Look at the camera. You're I went right. to London with my husband. We took we did a double decker, and the the bus stopped at a. a a red light oh, yes. and at the corner is all these poles with all the cameras and I'm waving at the camera looking straight into it and he's knocking my hand down. They know who I am. I mean there was facial they know where you are coming into the country at the airport. Of course they know who I am. Yeah. But it's it's endless and cameras don't stop anything. That's the killer. Yeah. They don't change behavior. They don't prevent crime. Yeah. And you know, no I don't have a video camera at my front door. That's good. I don't, you don't have the, the Nest Cam or whatever no. whatever there is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we could first, talk about this for a very long time. Oh, absolutely. Abs- I know. There's no end of these there is no that end have been Ill, Ill, allowed to infiltrate in our yeah. lives. Yeah. So what I like to do is to bring, bring together the conversation we had in terms of how it affects Alberta prosperity, 
And from what I can tell, a lot of this privacy stuff is, is I'm going to say federally regulated, at least we know with uh, C27. I'm assuming that there should be some provincial jurisdiction with this as well, right? There we is. need to handle our own affairs and, and figure out how to deal with privacy in municipalities as well as in the province. And, and the thing about, again, about Alberta Prosperity Project is we're looking for solutions. We're looking for education. And if anything, if all this does is just wake up people to say the privacy thing is a big part of why um, we should be taking our own sovereign jurisdiction, whether it's your own personal responsibility of how you keep track of, of stuff that's online, how you deal with the cash. Um, it comes down to basically trying to do it for yourself. And, um, and, and, you know, if we can somehow come up with a really good plan that would work in regards to uh, a provincial jurisdiction, then we should be talking to our MLAs, we should be talking to our uh, municipal leaders and making sure that, you know, maybe, maybe we say, you, you were just talking about London and all these cameras out there. Maybe we actually have conversations and, and say, does there really have to be this many cameras up on uh, on the street corner? And, yes, and who you know, you really need to be a smart city with that many cameras watching that everything. Is, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So ask questions. Absolutely. Because I I'm not a betting woman, but I would bet that an awful lot of our municipal leaders, elected representatives, they don't know really what yeah. they've put in. And that's no, one right. thing. And You're if right. they do, that's something else entirely. Yeah. We know that it's the bureaucracy. It's the people that have been working in the same job for 20 years that maybe are you know, two or three steps down from the actual government officials. They're the ones that seem to have the most power and able to say, yeah, let's just put more cameras in and let's just do this because it's not going to affect me. And they just don't know. And again, we have to have this conversation with people and let them know that it does affect all of us. Yeah. And the questions to ask uh, the people who want to run for office, not only do you plan to do something, when will you do something and what will you do? When will it's, you do that? Specifics. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So, so we can hold them to account. That's right. Well, this, this this has been great. Uh, uh, thank you so much, Sharon, for coming on. And uh, of course, I want to thank everyone for staying online. You know, we're an hour and forty-five minutes. Normally, it doesn't go this long, but on a topic like that's so vast. And again, I'm, I'm going to get Sharon back on here in a few months and uh, and see what's going on. Uh, and and you know, it's great that people are engaged. They were asking questions, and uh, yeah, thank you so much for for coming on. Um, and of course, we do weekly APP webinars every Wednesday with new speakers and new information as we go along. And next week's webinar, I don't know if you know, Sharon, uh, Dr. William Mackis, uh, who we've had on the webinar before, uh, I believe it was last November. Lots of change in his research, and he will be giving us an update and report on what he's been finding. And uh, you'll definitely want to tune in on that one. So with that, I'm going to say thank you so much again. And um we will wish everyone a good night and thanks again. And I will uh, fade us out here. Thanks, Sharon.